please go ahead and turn with me to uh, the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4, as we continue on and looking at uh, all the characteristics of, of healthy churches and the importance of these things, um, we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 4 this morning as we think about uh, walking together in unity um, in Ephesians chapter 4. Um, in Ephesians chapter 4, we'll look at verses 1 through 6, um, Lord willing, and uh, um, Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in uh, uh, verse 1, going through verse 6, Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. And if you are physically able to do so, let me, um, let me ask you to stand with me as we honor the reading of God's holy and written word. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, going through verse 6, hear the word of the Lord that is given to us this morning. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the vocation or calling wherewith you were called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. For there is one body and one Spirit, even as you were called, and one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Let's pray. Father, as we take up the, the issue of, <clears throat> of unity and we take up the issue of walking together by the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray that your name would be glorified and honored and that we pray that our hearts would be submissive to your word, that we would come in a humble uh, attitude to hear your word. May you guide us now and direct us and may you bless your word for your word has been now read to us. May you bless the exposition of it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you. Can be seated. Um, so I don't think it's any under it's an understatement to say that biblical unity is um, is one of the uh, more important subjects that that does occur in the New Testament. I think as you as you look at the the New Testament, particularly uh, at the life of the church and how the church works together and how we we do uh, uh, we do ministry together, we live together, we we. Uh, at times even um, aggravate each other, it is important that we honor Christ in all that we do and say. Because I think more often than not, it, it's misapplied. And so um, when people say things like, well, you know, we're Christians and people will know us by our love, and that's true, but generally what they mean by that is, well, let's just not focus on doctrine. Let's not focus on biblical teaching or biblical instruction. Because after all, I mean, that gets into the nitty-gritty. And, and who wants to really deal with that? Because after all, I mean, we're, we're, uh, you know, we, we don't want to have to actually deal with the tougher issues. But the Bible does tell us that we are to be unified. We are unified and we are to be unified. But not at the first, not at the not at the expense of jettisoning sound doctrine. Not certainly not at the expense of of honoring Christ in our in our lives. And so that's why I say that we need to be um, as we look at the Bible. The Bible tells us that we should be unified, but it should be a biblical unity, right? Uh, not uniformity. Um, in other words, we don't have to look like each other or think like each other. We can have a very diverse uh, backgrounds, uh, social, economic, ethnic. It doesn't matter. We can be very diverse, but yet we are united in Christ because we are, we are united around the core biblical teachings um, that we see and read in Scripture. And so we, we don't water that down. We don't divide over silly things. 
um, but we do honor Christ in, in, um, in all that we do. I mean, and it's amazing because as you look, you, you see different churches and, and different churches are do, do different things. So some of them, um, you know, some of them divide along different types of, 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 of issues. So, you know, there, there are debatable matters that people divide over. Um, some make a big deal over wearing pants or tobacco or not wearing makeup or, or other things like that. I mean, these are all non-things. Non these are all non-things that we should even be worried about. Um, what we should be worried about is the application of biblical truth. Um, we're not worried about debatable issues here, what translation of the Bible you like or prefer or other things like that. This, this is not the issue. I, 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 think the, I think Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, I think, said it best when he said this. He said, nothing else can bring men together truly but this, the gospel, the gospel. So what I want to do is I want to show us, I want to examine three realities concerning what it looks like for us to, to be unified, to walk in gospel-driven unity. Um, and I do use that word purposely, gospel-driven unity, because I think we, when we understand that we are united in the gospel, no matter what else may divide us or what else we may disagree on, we have what really matters. The gospel drives us, and the gospel is what unites us together. So let's look at a couple different uh, realities here, three realities about gospel-driven unity. The first is this, um, gospel-driven unity, right, whatever else can be said, drives us to walk worthy of the gospel. It drives us to walk worthy of the gospel. You say, well, my pastor, what do you mean? Well, look with me in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 here, okay? It says this, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the calling, or King James has trans uh, vocation, but, but the idea there is calling wherewith you are called. And so, so what, what does Paul mean that we're to walk worthy of the calling that we're called with? What, what does that even look like? Well, let me say there's a couple different ideas here when we're talking about this. I think we need to grab hold of and we need to use well. It's simply this, that, that is that we first and foremost, before we do anything else, we understand that our position in Christ promotes great gospel unity. Because notice what Paul says here. He says, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord. Now, we know that Paul wrote the, the book of Ephesians. It's one of the, one of the uh, epistles, one of the writings that he wrote while he was in prison. And so he's saying literally he is a prisoner of the Lord, or, or literally I am a prisoner for the Lord, right? That's, that's what Paul is saying here. In other words, he's in prison now because he has given faithful testimony to Christ. But that's not the only way that he's using it, because as you look throughout Paul's other writings, Paul talks about himself being a bondservant or a slave of Christ, uh, Paul talks about himself being, uh, being, being bought by Christ, uh, being, uh, being in Christ's service, and uh, that he is a bondservant there. He is, he is attached to Christ because Christ has sought him out and, and, and purchased him by his own blood. And so, so as we look at this, we, we need to say to ourselves that this is, this is who we are. Right? This, we're, Paul is not the only one who's a prisoner for the Lord. We, we are prisoners for the Lord as well in the sense that we, we have been bought by Jesus, by his own dear precious blood. We are his people. He has pursued us. He has bought us. And because of who we are in Christ, that is, we are simply children, we are prisoners of Jesus, 
right? Then therefore, we understand that we all have equal, solid footing before Christ. There is not one that's above. There's not one that's below. There's not one that's, that's better than the other. We are all in Christ, and therefore, we all reside at the same place in, with Christ. That is, we all reside as, the, as prisoners for Christ and prisoners of Christ in this life. And so Paul would talk about himself, though, being prisoners, a prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of the Gentiles earlier. But, but this is not necessarily what he has in mind here. Um, he's not talking about that he's in physical prison uh, at this point. Um, but he's rather giving us a sober reminder of the cost of following Jesus that it is costly to follow Jesus, no matter who we are, no matter where we come from, no matter what, what our background may be or the experiences we have in life, we, are all been, we have all been, been bought by Christ, pursued by Christ. Um, we, have been, um, we have been pursued and bought, and we now belong to Jesus Christ. And as a result, we should faithfully walk worthy, regardless of the cost that it personally costs us to follow Jesus. And in all of this, then, there is also an urgency as we're thinking about walking worthy of the gospel, not only our position that we're prisoners of the Lord Jesus Christ, but that, but that also when we're talking about walking worthy of the gospel, we need to know that that comes with a sense of urgency, right? Because we only have so long to live in this life. I don't know how long that may be for you or me or anyone else. I, I, uh, there's a gentleman I know who, uh, 38 years old, has three kids, uh, who, uh, who died uh, suddenly this past week. Uh, his time was up. He loved the Lord. He served the Lord. But uh, 38 years old with three small children, his time was done. Uh, we don't know when that is. We don't, have, we don't know that we have 70 years or 80 years or 100 years or, or even the next moment. But we know that no matter what, there is an urgency in our living for the sake of Christ and for the sake of the gospel. And this is what Paul, Paul knowing this urgency, right? Paul being older now and a little older in the faith now, Paul certainly understands and knows that his time is growing short in this life. And so he says, I am imploring you, I'm urging you, I am pleading with you. And it is interesting, I don't know if you know this, but as you study Ephesians, you, if you know anything about the book of Ephesians, you'll know that of the 41 commands that occur in the, in, the, in the book of Ephesians, only one occurs in the first three chapters. All other 40 commands occur after the doctrine has been laid down for the church at Ephesus by, in the first three chapters of this book. And it's interesting that Paul only issues one command prior to the, do, uh, the, 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 the application of doctrine in the first three chapters. But now he's going to rapid-fire list for us in the next three chapters 40 commands as a result of, in other words, as a result of right belief, you need to live in light of that. Right belief should lead to right living. Right understanding of the doctrines of God leads to the right application of those doctrines in our lives. And so Paul says, I implore you, I urge you, I plead with you. You need to see this as an urgent matter in which you need to act upon now. Um, you know, we, we uh, you know, used to be uh, not so much now, right, because we've all, uh, we all probably have our own, uh, uh, very few people have 
have cable anymore, but it used to be, you know, act now for the low, low price of whatever, right, on, the, on those infomercials. And, and, but Paul isn't, isn't being cheesy. He's not being silly with that. He's saying, look, there is an urgency. There is a time frame in which you have been given, and you need to act upon it. You need to live in light of this. I implore you, because of Christ, because you are prisoners of Christ, just like me, walk worthy. Walk worthy. Walk worthy of the, of, of the calling that Christ has called you with. And, and this is what he's going to say here in, in walking worthy of the gospel is that our need, our need in Christ and of Christ and for Christ promotes that unity. And that's why Paul says, look, because I'm a prisoner of the Lord, I can implore you because I know your time is short, just like mine. Walk worthy of the calling that Christ has called you with. Walk worthy of this. In other words, I think if we had to put this into uh, a little, uh, just a little, uh, uh, just a 126 characters, right? We could say doctrinal truth plus holy living equals a balanced Christian life. Doctrinal truth plus holy living equals a balanced Christian life. And that's important for us. It, it truly is important for us. I read a story talking about the importance of walking a worthy life. And that doesn't necessarily, um, it's not a spiritual illustration, but I think it does serve our, our purposes for today. Um, there's a story told many years ago of a doctor, um, was a, became a man who became a very successful doctor. And uh, one day he was thinking of his, his, uh, his teacher, uh, one, of, one of his teachers who had made such a big impact on him. And he wrote her a, a note of encouragement, um, and, and, and he, he, he wrote her to her to tell her of how much her investment in his life um, had meant to him, and, and, what, and that because of her, like many others, he was where he was today because of her encouragement. And she responded, she wrote back to, um, to him, she was a lady now in her 80s, living alone um, in, a, in, a, in a small room. And uh, <clears throat> she wrote back to him and she said to him, you will be interested to know that I taught school for over 50 years and yours is the first letter of appreciation I've ever received. It came on a cold blue morning and cheered my lonely old heart as nothing has cheered me in many years. And, and what's my point? My point is that it is important for us to encourage one another to walk holy uh, in a holy manner, in a way that honors Christ, in a way that glorifies God in a way that, 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 that encourages one another, you and I, to walk in holiness, to, to believe the right things, but also to practice the right things. Not just to believe the right things, certainly to believe the right things, but also as a result, apply those right beliefs and, and, and then live for the glory of God. And so, and so let, me, let me ask you this. Are, you, are, we, are we living in the light of the greatness of the power of Christ this morning? Are we living in the vast riches that is ours in Christ in other words, is your doctrine, is what you say you believe, is it making, a, is it making a, a discernible difference in your walk with Christ? Because it should. It most certainly should, whether it be you or me or, or someone else. Our lives should be directly impacted. And this is, this is why doctrine is so important. This is why doctrine is, is, it shouldn't be seen as something dead and cold, but it should be seen as something living and powerful because it should direct our lives. Right? It directs our lives. And then within this idea here of, 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 of walking worthy of the gospel, I think there are some indicators for us um, for, for how we know whether or not our, our doctrine is actually making some, some application and making some headway in our lives. And Paul lists that for us here in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 2 and 3, when he says, 
that we are to walk, right, the calling wherewith we're called, but then he says with, right, meaning so this is how you know this is happening, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, bearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And he's going to give us the reasons afterwards why that's so important. But, but for now, look, look at the indicators here. Well, Paul said, what is the first indicator that that we're walking worthy of the gospel? Well, Paul lists for us here in chapter 4, verse 2. He says, first and foremost, we are living humble and loving and merciful lives. We We are relating to one another with humble, with humility, with love and mercy for one another. In other words, it's okay if a brother or sister in Christ don't quite understand things the way you understand things, right? They, it doesn't matter if, if, they, if, they, if, they, if they dress like you or think like you or look like you or they, they have tattoos or no tattoos. It, it doesn't matter how they're, what their understanding of, of, uh, is as long as, they, as long as we are um, together in the gospel, together for the gospel, together living in the glory of God, we are going to we are going to lovingly, humbly, and mercifully deal with one another. We are, when we rub each other the wrong way, when we don't always like each other. Because listen, I, I, I you know I think most of you have probably been in the church long enough, and I hope I don't bust anybody's bubble. But 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 y'all know right? Like if you deal with each other long enough, y'all gonna get mad at each other. You're gonna be you're gonna get upset with each other. You're not gonna always like what the other person has to say, or the way that they say it, or the way they think, or or whatever the case may be. And that's okay. That's okay, right? Because we should deal with each other with humility, with love and mercy for one another. And this is what Paul says here, that we should, we should walk with all lowliness or humility, right? In other words, lowly thinking of a humble attitude. In other words, what he's saying is no arrogance. Don't think with arrogance. Don't think like the, like the Pharisee who beat his chest as he looked upon the, 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 the tax collector in the temple and complex. And he, you know, he was like, look at me. I, I'm not a woman. I'm not a, I'm not a tax collector. I'm not a sinner. I do all this stuff. Um, and there was great pride in him. God says, no, there's to be no pride in the child of God. There's to be no pride in us. There's not to be any arrogance. Maybe that's the better word, any arrogance in us. Matter of fact, Paul writes to us in Romans, writes to the Roman church and to us in Romans chapter 12, verse 16. Listen to what he says. He says, be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. And Paul goes on and he says, um, with all lowliness and meekness. And so, so humble mercy here, right? So humility, but also gentleness and mercy here that Paul is talking about. It, it means that it's, a, it's, a, it's an attitude whereby we, we are patient with one another. We are gracious to one another. And, and, and we, don't take, uh, we, we don't seek to, to be malicious and, and vengeful toward one another. But in other words, we are called upon by the power of the Holy Spirit to exercise strength when dealing with one another. And, and, and we, are to, we are to do nothing from bitterness or resentment. right? In, in any way, shape, or form, we are to, we are to humbly, gently love one another, uh, correct one another, guide one another, guard one another. right? It doesn't mean that there's, there's no such thing as correction. right? That's, that's not what it's saying here. But when there is, the attitude is one that expresses itself with humility and love and grace. 
And so not only, not, only we, not only is there a humble mercy that is an indicator, right? Uh, humility, love, mercy, all of these things, but, but endurance even with one another because Paul says here in Ephesians chapter 4 that we're to do this with all long-suffering, right? Or to, to be long-tempered, to be patient, right? And, and all of this leads to, to one thing, doesn't it? It says here, he says, meekness with long-suffering, forbearing one another. In other words, we are to show patience with one another because in doing that, do you know what's happening? We are mutually encouraging, mutually um, building one another up in Christ as we exercise grace, grace and mercy and humility. Uh, we, are, we are listening to one another, and even if we don't agree with one another, we are being patient with one another because not everybody's going to be on the same on the same uh, learning scale. Not everybody's going to understand the same thing at the same time. Some of you are much further ahead. Some of you are just beginning your walk in Christ. And that's okay. We should exercise great humility as we teach and, and as we deal with one another because ultimately all of this is to be done in love. Now, now we, we could say easily, um, maybe we could say, well, I mean, this is means in love for one another. And certainly that, that is the case. But I think Paul has a much greater understanding here than just our love for one another. And certainly you and I should love each other. I mean, there's no doubt about that. But, but I don't think that Paul just means in, in love because you and I are to love each other. I, I think Paul is very, very clear in this context that this love that is, that is ours is first because we love Christ in the love of Christ, therefore we we live like this, we do this, but because also I because I love Christ, I love my brothers and sisters in Christ, and therefore I walk with them, I I, I love them, I help them, I encourage them, I, I do rebuke them when necessary, but even that is done with great love and care and peace. And, and all that I do is done upon the basis of my love for Christ and Christ's love for me first and foremost. But do you notice that, that not only is Paul talking about humility and love and mercy here, endurance, right? But he's also, in verse 3, he picks up another indicator here when he says, endeavoring to keep, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Do you know what Paul, do you notice what Paul does not say there in that text? Paul does not say building love. He doesn't say building love. He says endeavoring to keep it. In other words, we already have love and unity. It's ours in Christ. It's ours in Christ. And this is Paul's point in verse 4, 5, and 6. For there's one body and one spirit, one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father who is above all and through all and in you. So that's the point is, is that it's our already ours. Ours is this love that has been given to us, right? Christ has already given us this love. Paul says that we are to endeavor to keep it. So one of the other marks of, of, of walking worthy of the gospel within the, within the context of the local church is that we are preserving the unity that is ours already in Christ, because it's not something that we build. It's not something we do. This is something given to us already by Christ. So that I can go, I can go wherever in the world another, another, another uh, a body of believers are, are, are gathered. 
right? Uh, Canada, South America, I could go to uh, Africa or, or Europe, I could go to uh, wherever, right? I could go to the ends of the world, and wherever there is, a, uh, wherever there is a, a group of people gathered in the name of Jesus Christ, whether they talk like me, or they speak the same language as me, or they look like me, or not, we already have a unity that is ours in Christ because of Christ. And we should always seek to, to promote that and encourage that. We should always seek to promote that and to encourage that. And so we should be diligent. And that's what Paul says here. Endeavoring, in other words, be diligent. Make every effort is what he's saying. In other words, do this with urgency and eagerness because it's hard work. Why, Why is it hard work? Because we're people, right? We're people. And people don't always agree people don't always like what the other has to say people don't always agree with one another but that's okay if we're in Christ because we have we are in Christ and Christ loves us and Christ has died for us and Christ has risen again on the the other day so that no matter if there's anything else we agree upon we are united in Christ And so we may experience this unity to greater or lesser degrees depending upon our effort that we put into it to preserve it. But ultimately, we are called to preserve it. We are called to preserve unity, right? To not disturb it, not to become disturbers of the peace. We're not not called to disturb the peace of the body of Christ. Now, again, that doesn't mean we can't disagree and and even at times disagree um, quite quite vehemently with one another. But but at the end of the day, right, what what, what are we talking about? At the the, the end of the day, what what are are we doing? We're talking about ultimately, we're talking about um, um, even when we disagree, we're we're doing so in a way that honors Christ. We're doing doing that in a way that, that makes much of Jesus. And then there's a, there's a third sense here in which, um, so, so not only are there indicators, right, uh, but uh, there's, also, um, there's also another uh, reason why we're to keep this unity. And that's actually found in verses 4 through 6. Ready? And that is simply this. Let me say this. There's a third reason why, right, or a third, third, third thought on this, which is there's, there is a Trinitarian reflection of our walk. There's a Trinitarian reflection of our walk that shows us how to walk worthy of the gospel. You say, well, what do you mean? Well, notice here in verse 4, 5, and 6 where Paul says, okay? So, so notice, notice what he says. N- notice first and foremost what he says here in verse, verses 1 through 3. Do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. But do this, do this, do this, do this, not because this is on you, Right? But because of, because of 4, 5, and 6, because there is one body, because there is one spirit, because there is one hope of your calling, because there is one Lord, because there is one faith, because there is one baptism, because there is one God, and because there is one Father of all, and because there is one Father who is above all and through all and in you all, therefore you can do this. You are to do this. So Paul is saying, yes, you are to do this, but he's pointing them back in verses 4, 5, and 6 and saying, but you do this only because of there's one God, one Father, one Spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one hope of your calling that you've been called to. Right? You say, well, no, okay, that's great, but Pastor, I don't, I don't understand where you're talking about the Trinity and all this. Well, look at the Holy Spirit's work that's revealed in verse 4. For there is one body and one Spirit, 
even as you are called in one hope of your calling. We are placed into the body of Christ because of the Spirit's work. Paul is calling for unity, and it's important, though, that that we note that he's not talking about unity at any price, right? Unity at any cost, right? He's talking about remaining united in the fundamental truths of the Word of God. He's talking about remaining united in the the Word of God, right? Um, So he says, if we are to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, we need to know and hold to the truths that unite us as a body. There's nothing wrong with that. But then instead of focusing on our differences, right, majoring on the minors, we are called to concentrate on the doctrinal truths and of the foundation of the Christian faith that unite us together. That's what we're called to. We're called to, to, to focus upon the, the doctrinal truths that unite us in Christ that are taught to us by the word of God. In other words, when, when anybody stands behind this pulpit, they... The, there should never be a doubt of, okay, so this is what the Bible says. Now, you can get all kinds of opinions from me if you want to, right? All you have to do is, is come talk to me or take me in for a cup of coffee or whatever. I'll give you all the opinions that you could want, right? But we're not talking about opinions here, right? We're not talking about opinions. We're talking about thus says the Lord. We need to be united in that we agree that this is what the Lord says. This is what the Lord says, and what the Lord says, we need to be united on that. And, that, and that's, why, that's why it's good that, and, and why we understand that, that there are churches that are called Baptists and churches that are called Presbyterians and Lutherans and all these things because it tells us what we believe and what we believe the Word of God teaches. Right? And, and it's important for us to understand these things. It's, it's important that we understand that, that we, are, we are united in, in, in secondary issues right and, and it's what makes us who we are as, as baptists or whatever the denomination you know we may gather with but the lord says not only is not only are we placed into the body of christ through the spirit right because there's one body but he says there's only one holy spirit that's what he says one spirit and that is he is the holy spirit and we should not be surprised that the holy spirit plays an integral part in the life of the of the church He played a pivotal role in the life of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And he should play again a pivotal role. He must play. He does play a pivotal and integral role and part in the life of the local congregation or the the life of the church, period. Because there's only one of him. There's not many of him. There's only one of him. And there's only one hope from the Holy Spirit that's been given to us. That is our calling, right? We have been sought we have been bought we've been we've been we've been transformed right we we have one foundation who is christ but it's the spirit who applies the work of salvation it's the spirit that applies it's through the holy spirit that we're that we're brought to understanding and of christ and his his work on our behalf and therefore we're placed and given a down payment uh who is the holy spirit he is the one who serves for us as a as a uh, as our down payment. And so the Holy Spirit is intricately, intricately involved in, in our walk with, with walking worthy of the gospel. But so is the Lord Jesus Christ. Because Paul goes on and he says, not just the Spirit, but in verse 5, there is one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. So I don't care where you are. I don't care where you're from. I don't care who you are. I don't care your upbringing, your nationality. I don't care where you are. 
There is only one Savior, and his name is Jesus Christ. God makes that very plain. There are not many saviors. There are not many things that get us, to, get us on the road to heaven. And it is interesting that Paul connects this idea in verse 5, one Lord, back to verse 1. You say, well, now, wait a minute. What do you mean? When he says, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, or the prisoner for the Lord, right? He now employs the, employs the word Lord, right? Again, that he used just, just previously, Right? Lord meaning what? It means one who has legal power over, one who, one who, who owns, right? one who, who possesses this person, right? the Lord Jesus, right? Jesus Christ. Right? And this is what distinguishes Christianity from, from the, the other religions of the world, is that we didn't do anything. Christ has done everything, and he is the one who, who, who sought us out, who owns us, who loves us, who, who, who tells us what we're to be doing, and we're to be faithful into doing what Christ has told us. In other words, Jesus doesn't run a democracy. Right? Jesus runs his own kingdom, that he oversees his own, his own people. And he goes on, and he says, so, so not only is there one master, right? Jesus is our master. Not only is there... So, one, ma- one king, one lord, one master, but there's also one faith. So again, it doesn't matter where we're from, doesn't matter what we look like, doesn't matter what our upbringing was. If we are in Christ, there is one faith. There's not many faiths. There's one faith. And we are brought to faith in Christ and redeemed in Christ, brought into his kingdom. And then one baptism. Now this is interesting, right? Because he says there's one baptism. So, so what kind of bapt- what baptism is he talking about? Well, again, how are we brought to the Lord Jesus? Through the Spirit, through the work of the Spirit. And so there is a sense in which one baptism here, the sense in which one baptism here isn't isn't meaning physical baptism, but rather we are spiritually baptized, right? We are spiritually baptized by the Holy Spirit into the kingdom of God, right? So we're not talking about second blessings here or, or, or the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at this point. We're talking about being, being baptized into the, by the Spirit into the kingdom of God, right? So there's, we're not talking about a second blessing or a second work of the Spirit, but this is what the Spirit does. This is who He is. This is what He does. He baptizes us into the kingdom of Christ. And so the Father, or the Spirit and the, 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 uh, our Lord Jesus are working together, but so is the Father. Because if you notice here in verse 6, what is, what is Paul's, what is Paul's uh, pleading with the church in Ephesus and to us? Because he says, okay, so not only is there one body, not only is there one spirit, not only is there one hope of the calling that you've been called with, not only is there, not only is there just one Lord and one faith, one baptism, but there's also one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in um, uh, you all, right? In you all. So what does he mean by that? Well, I think a couple different things. One, the Father reveals his work, right? In that he is the creator. He is the one God, the supreme being, the ultimate patriarch, the creator of all men and women equally, right? They are, we are equal before God in his eyes. He is the one who created us. He is the one who created us not only um, originally, but also the one who creates us in Christ. He is the one who who, who uh, planned our salvation. Jesus executes, our, uh, Jesus executes the plan of salvation and the Spirit applies the work of salvation to our lives. But he's also the sovereign king. Because notice what he says here. Who is over all, right? And through all, right? And in you all. So, so I think there's three ways in which this kingship applies. One, 
He is, we need to understand Christ's kingship, uh, lordship over all things, right? There's, there's not a, as Abraham Kuyper said, a, 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 a pastor and, and, a, and a Dutch politician from many years ago, he said, there's not a single square inch over which Christ does not cry, mine, right? So, so, so there's, there's no, uh, there's nothing over which Christ is not already Lord. Um, there's, not a, there's not a sense in which Jesus isn't already king over those things, even though we may not see it yet. It is a reality. Jesus is the so- uh, sovereign king. God is our sovereign, sovereign king. He is the one who rules and creates, and he is the one who reigns forever and ever. But also our Father is the one who is, who is acting through, uh, through, all, through all things to bring about himself glory and honor and to, to, to provide ample opportunity for the gospel to be preached. And then he closes out, the, the King James says here, in you all. Some of your translations don't say in you all, it just says in all. But, but the reality, I think, I, think, I, think, I think it is important for us to understand that he's talking about the sovereign king, and also in the sense of in the church, right? He is, he is the sovereign king. And there's a lot of people who would say, well, Jesus is king, but not really, not right now. Jesus isn't king right now. He'll be king one day, but he's not really king right now. But he is king over the church. But, but that's not anywhere in the text. Uh, it's not, not anywhere in the text. Our God, our sovereign God, our, our, our triune God is, 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 is sovereign now over all things, over all people, over all governments, over all institutions. He is king and sovereign over them now. They may rebel against him, but he is king and he is sovereign over all of them now, even though they may rebel against him. And people, uh, uh, paradigms and, and, and whatever else, he is king over them as well, even though they may rebel against him. But Jesus is also king in the church. Even though at times, the, there are times when, when, when the local church, were, when some of them rebel. Um, and this is why we see in, a few, in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, where Jesus says, repent, or I will come quickly and take away your lampstand. And so we need to understand that God is our sovereign king. There's not a single square inch of all of creation, all of the universe over which God is not already our sovereign king. And therefore, we do not need to seek to bow the knee to him in our relationships, in our jobs, in our, um, in our recreation, in our, in our sports, in our whatever. We need to bow the knee to Christ and honor Christ here and now in the way we relate to one another, in the way we care for one another, in the way we, we, we watch out for one another, in the way that we, we preach the gospel to sinners, right? Because we are calling sinners to repentance and faith in Christ. Not because, not because... And I want to be clear about this. Not because they'll go to hell if they die without Christ. That is a reality. We don't preach the gospel to them because of that. Why do we preach the gospel? We preach the gospel because he is King Jesus. And he commands all people everywhere to repent and believe the gospel. Right? Now, obviously not everyone will. Right? God is sovereign after all over salvation. But we do know that we are called to preach the gospel to sinners. We are called to proclaim the gospel to everyone, everywhere, that God might sovereignly work and save sinners through his sovereign grace. But there's not a place, even the most, even the most, most atheistic places in all the earth that you could go, they are not independent of Christ's kingship and rulership. They are not, up, they are not apart from him. They must bow the knee to them. And so we preach Jesus we preach Christ. 
and we tell sinners to repent and believe the gospel. Yes, we plead with them, but we also, not because it's our command, but it's because it's the command of our king, that they must bow the knee. We tell them, bow the knee to King Jesus. And certainly there is repercussions if they do not bow the knee to King Jesus in this life. But we need to, we as the church of Jesus Christ, we need to, we need to live in the, in the victory and the power and the authority of Christ. We don't need to act as if Jesus is going to be defeated. We need to live in the power of Christ. We need to live in the authority of Christ. We need to command sinners to repent and believe the gospel, not because it's our gospel, but because it's the gospel of the kingdom of Christ. And we call sinners to repent and believe the gospel. And so this morning, let me, let me apply this. Let me close by applying this in a couple different ways. First, if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, He today commands you to bow the knee, to repent and to believe the gospel. There is no other way to be made right with Him. I plead with you, with, the, with, with everything that I am, be reconciled to God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Repent of your sin, believe in Him. Second of all, for the Christian. Christian, live in the authority and power of Christ. Live in... In his, in, his, in his power and in His authority. Love, love those in your lives enough to preach the gospel to them, to rebuke where necessary, to love them, to be gracious to them, to deal with one another humbly and with great, with great love. And yet we must not bend or bow to the dictates of the world. We must only follow King Jesus. We must not bow the knee to Caesar. We do not bow the knee to Caesar. We only bow our knee to King Jesus. And so let us be faithful to that reality. Let us be faithful and let us cling to the gospel and cling to King Jesus together. Let's pray in Christ's name. Father, we thank you for our time together. We thank you that we can look at the importance of unity, but not just the importance of unity, but the fact that we already have it in Christ if we are in Christ. And then as a local congregation, we can rejoice and we can sing of your, of your grace that has come to us in Christ. And it doesn't matter what we look like or where we come from or God, no matter, no matter our upbringing, how good or how bad or, or how absolutely um, just, just awful and, and hellish it was. God, we, we thank you that, that if we are in Christ, we are united together with one another in Christ and from that, we can encourage and implore and we can walk together in unity, not in uniformity, but in unity. God, help us to do this in the power of the name of King Jesus and in the spirit.